This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. Today's episode is an interview with S.B. Divya, the author of Machinehood and twice nominated for a Hugo Award for her previous work. She's an engineer with a host of experience in artificial intelligence work and one of the editors of the long-running and well-loved Escape Pod. Ray Kurzweil says of Machinehood, from the opening manifesto to its ingenious technologies, Machinehood builds an inspiring and believable vision of the future that is both thought-provoking and hopeful. It will leave you wishing that tomorrow could arrive a little sooner. Here's S.B. Divya. Machinehood is my first novel. Very excited about it. It draws on some of that technical background with AI and neuroscience and biotech. And it's a pretty fun story about two women, one who is a former special forces officer now turned Um, bodyguard, basically private security, and her sister-in-law on the other side of the globe in India, who is more of a family person, juggling a job, a daughter, and kind of daily life. And the first character, whose name is Olga Ramirez, though everyone calls her Welga, uh, gets embroiled in this plot by a mysterious new terrorist organization called the Machine Hood, who are agitating for human beings to stop enhancing their bodies and to liberate bots and AIs of the future. I think this book is set in 2095. I think I forgot to mention that. So it's about 75 years out from now, and it's me trying to paint a relatively plausible picture of the future. So there hasn't been any super revolutionary new you know, physics that's been discovered. There's no big apocalypse. There's no terrible uh, dystopian government, you know, keeping its evil eye on everyone. It's really um, kind of a look at uh, what I think life could be like in 2095 if certain trends from today were carried forward. Okay. I'm kind of, you've just touched on politics. Let's just do that quickly because you're in America, right? And it's, it's changed recently. Um, I, I've always felt that it was that we were going in the right direction and then, um, you know, to nail my colours to the mast. I found it a bit of a blip recently, um, sort of a downward trajectory in terms of politics. Do, in your future, where has politics gone? What I've observed is that politics, as with a lot of trends in human history, tends to be somewhat cyclical. You know, there's a push and a pull. There's an overall arc, I think, that uh, that does bend towards justice. But um, but there's always, you know, back and forth. And so I I did kind of extend that in machinehood in that certain things have definitely progressed beyond today's politics, but certain other things have perhaps become a little bit more conservative. And so much like today compared to 100 years ago, it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's, there's a lot of engineering in it. There's a lot of science in it. There's a lot of storytelling in it. Um, I want to start with the storytelling, if we can. Are you, are you sort of digging into a treasure trove of, of science fiction that's stored within your head? Is there a love of science fiction there that you've gone into? Or is it, is it just born out of your experience in the world of engineering? 
I have been reading science fiction since I was 10. So uh, I'm a long, long time fan. Um, I generally prefer it to fantasy, though there is fantasy that I enjoy. And I have written some short stories in that side of the genre space. This particular story, however, this novel was really born out of um, my background in AI kind of colliding with pop culture conventions built around AI and robots going all the way back to, you know, RUR and Asimov, but also Terminator and The Matrix. And so I wrote this book in part to paint a more realistic picture of what AI is likely to be in our lives, as opposed to, you know, Lieutenant Commander Data or any number of very human-like machine intelligences. Uh, I really wanted to kind of say, what if we just, you know, are where we are today, but with more complexity? And the machines aren't yet sentient. They aren't self-aware. They're just very capable and very complicated systems that we have built to assist in our lives in various ways. And how would that change, especially the way we work and the way we live and what kind of jobs are coming? Um, because of because of my technical background, I think I've been part of a lot of conversations about the impending you know, digital divide, the technology apocalypse when it comes to jobs and work and labor and what are people going to do and I found some interesting parallels with the 19 teens and 20s um, with the with the industrial revolution and people were were very existentially worried back then too and obviously we we went through the great depression it was not necessarily a good time to have to go through that particular transition but you know at, at the turn of the previous century most of the world's economy and labor force were working in agriculture on farms. And very few people went to school. Um, hard, you know, There were people in factories, but not a ton of them. And all of that shifted right over those next few decades. And there was definitely social upheaval as part of that. But eventually we kind of settled in. We found new types of work, a lot more office jobs, public education in a lot of places. And so that was the kind of trend I was trying to forecast over the next 75 years as the digital revolution and the information age really take hold what's going to shift in the next few decades and, you know, what is the world going to look like at the end of this century? Are you hopeful that it's going to look like this? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, uh, I would like to see a more equitable future than the one I paint in Machinehood. Uh, Machinehood definitely carries forward, you know, consumerism and capitalism as they are today and maybe even more so in that uh, I decided to not have corporations anymore. Um, corporations are a relatively new feature in human history. And I thought, well, what if they go away because of, you know, various factors? Um, then what? But I think we'll still have, you know, uneven distribution of capital and therefore the haves and the have-nots and kind of the struggles therein are going to persist. 
um, if I was going to dream up a lovely, you know, utopian-ish future for myself, this would definitely not be the one. But neither do I think it's a terrible future. Um, you know, depending on the type of work and lifestyle you enjoy, you might find it terrible. But there are people who find today's world terrible, too. So I think that's that's always potentially going to happen. Yeah. And um, the people in machinehood don't necessarily hate their lives. Oh. They're, they're just living. So uh, speaking of the people, so you've got the two main characters. Um, are they based on you in any way are they based on other people you know uh the character of nithya in chennai is a little bit based on me and people that i know personally i am a geek i am well grounded in science i've spent a lot of time you know working on technology i have a daughter just like she does um i have a spouse and a household to manage though i'm in the u.s i would say there's a lot of parallels in terms of her daily routines and pressures in this story Welga, on the other hand, is sort of my my wish fulfillment character. The the kick ass, badass, like super strong, physically strong woman that I wish I could be, and I totally am not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but I do know some people who are like that, and I would like to see you know more of that kind of character in the world. Like we're starting to have more women as action heroes. Um, and I think that's great. And that's part of the reason why I chose to have a woman as the, the primary character for machinehood. But I did kind of want to show the other side, you know, in science fiction and even in, uh, action movies and stuff, we tend to focus on that one exceptional person who's going to take down the bad guy. I wanted to also look at the ordinary person of the future and, you know, how they support their family um, so these two characters are actually sisters-in-law, and so they have a lot of interaction. And Welga, for all that she's kick-ass, has a, uh, is developing a chronic medical condition that will potentially take her out of the type of work she wants to do. And her sister-in-law is a biogeneticist who is trying to help her figure out, you know, what's going wrong and whether there's anything they can do about it. And so there's this that afforded me the opportunity to kind of show both sides, you know, to be in the action, to be in the thick of the plot and the danger and excitement. But then on the other side of the planet to kind of be juggling your home life, your professional life and uh, all the sort of stresses that we're all experiencing on a daily basis, even today. Mm, fantastic. I, what I can tell you is that um, when you said one of the characters was based on you and as a geek um your book sales just went up because the cosmic shed listeners right there in that bracket that's who we are um i'm one of them that's a very exciting thing so is that this is kind of the world building thing that you see you're building the world around around these two characters yeah i would say that's that's about right though i tend to kind of go back and forth between my world building and my characters when i'm developing a story I love world building. I could spend all day just sitting around, um, you know, speculating about what the future might look like at any given period. It is a favorite pastime of mine. Um, so I spent actually most of the time that I spent researching 
and planning for machinehood was actually more on the world building and really on the technology. I had a lot of fun reading books, uh, looking at, you know, upcoming technological innovations of the next 30 to 50 years, but also political changes, economic changes, you know, various people trying to forecast these things and me going in and cherry picking the ones that I liked and then finding ways to carry them forward uh, in in a way that allows me to tell a fun and interesting and engaging story too. When you're reading science fiction, are there other women characters in science fiction that you've sort of been drawn to, that you've thought, oh yeah, that's written well, I like that? For sure. Um, one of my favourite books from when I was a teenager is Cytine by C.J. Cherry who has Ariane Emery, who is just a fantastic um, female character, and you, you get to watch her grow up. And uh, And I still love those books, and I still love anything by C.J. Cherry. I think she's a, a phenomenal writer in general. Um, more recently, in terms of characters that I loved, uh, I really liked um, Nine Fox Gambit. I don't know if you read that by Yoon Ha Lee. That's more of a far future story. It's not so grounded, but... Uh, the main character there, Sheris, is um, is a bit of a soldier, but is also uh, quite a strategist and intellectual, and um, gets a really fascinating plotline. It's a it's a fantastic book. It's not for everyone. Um, Yoon Ha Lee is a has a math background, and he crafts this lovely sort of science fantasy world where advanced algebra and mathematics drive belief systems that then drive techno like technology of this world um it's really interesting i i definitely recommend it for for geeky people especially if you like math but even otherwise yeah, 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 yeah. um if you if you enjoy like a good head trip uh it's, a, it's an excellent book and there's two others in the series as well podcast audience can't see but posters behind me of the snow queen and the summer queen um which are, again, older books by Joan Vinge. Uh, I also really enjoyed those. In present times, um, I feel like near-future science fiction novels, uh, with the exception of Sarah Pinsker's A Song for a New Day, uh, but a lot of the other ones don't really feature central female characters that I can like latch on to as just, fun characters um so I guess that's something I'm trying to do myself I'm, I'm trying to fill in that particular gap and is it is that been true of you in your career as well that there's not been many women around yeah just a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um I went to Caltech in the 90s and I believe the the male female ratio was something like four to one when I was there, oh, really? wow. um, it's gotten a lot better since then. They, you know, they've they've made a solid effort to to improve that over time, and so I'm I'm glad to see that, and I'm glad to see a lot more more women entering science. I haven't seen as many go into technology, which uh, dismays me. Like the engineering side of things, still seems to be uh, very male dominant, uh, especially you know. Silicon Valley and adjacent spaces, not necessarily geographically, but in terms of the type of work. 
I'm seeing, I'm starting to see more interest from women, especially in data science, which is good. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of the traditional electrical and computer engineering, computer science uh, has actually gotten worse oh, over yeah. the last couple of decades. Yeah, it was at a, it peaked in the, in the 80s and early 90s. And, um, and it's gone down. And that's something that has definitely bothered me. Um, I actually did some volunteer teaching of coding classes at my daughter's elementary school. And, you know, at that age, it doesn't matter. They're all interested, right? They're all having fun. It, it, there has been a lot of analysis and speculation on why we're seeing this particular trend in these particular spaces and a lot of people trying to work to, to counterbalance that because it's always good to get, you know, more voices into, I think, any space you get more ideas that way. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm trying to do my part to encourage that as well and and to keep them continuing on professionally but have you felt kind of comfortable in it have you felt welcome i have been pretty lucky um i've i've had friends who have been explicitly told off by professors or colleagues that you know they're not good enough to be there in the room i have been fortunate not to face that level of um hostility or even overt bias and so I've been okay, but, you know, as with anything where you're coming into a space as the minority, you know, whatever that space is and whatever your particular identity is, you generally become more representative of that identity group as a whole, and therefore you have to be better than you might otherwise uh, because you are representing a whole group of people and not just yourself. And so um, I've definitely always felt that pressure, you know, as a woman, as someone from India who is an immigrant here, uh, all of those things definitely come to bear both academically and professionally in that, yeah, I have to, I have to be much, much better than the average, you know, if not the best in order to consider myself successful well it's going all right so far i hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um so if if we're living in a world where these things are true right um you know it's you've not painted too bad a picture but you know there's definitely things that could be improved in the way that we treat other human beings how do we get to a future where we treat machines well if we can't treat each other well now that is uh part of the question at the heart of machinehood. Um, and I don't think it's an either or. I don't think we need to get to a point where we are treating each other well, where we are treating the planet well, where we are treating animals well, before we decide that we need to treat intelligent machines well. I think uh, you can't wait for perfection in one space to be good enough somewhere else. So my feeling is we need to at least consider the possibility of, you know, sentient, self-aware, or at least highly intelligent machines deserving of some kind of rights and representations, maybe in a hundred years or so. But it would be, it would be wise, I think, to start thinking about it today, because as you said, it is a reflection of how we treat each other. And so, 
as we develop respect in one space, I think it, it spreads, right? Just as sort of a collective consciousness of we need to do better. Um, so sometimes, you know, doing better in one area can drive home the fact that we're doing poorly with other human beings, right? Because people are going to step up and say, well, if, the, if you're giving the robots all these rights, you know, how about these actual human beings over here? Or how about animals and industrialized farming or, you know, whatever uh, ethical concerns you have? And there are plenty to have. Um, I don't think it's it's mutually exclusive. I'm just thinking in our house here, my wife will often ask Alexa a question and then say, please, afterwards. Is that is is that would that would you do that? I'm. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm hesitating because I'm a little bit torn because I think there is I think there's also a bit of danger in anthropomorphizing our devices too soon and not realizing that they are still just devices with algorithms at this point that are very advanced statistic and stochastical models at work and not really a generalized intelligence. Um, I am all for giving respect to everything in life, uh, whether it's inanimate, animate, human, or otherwise. So I have no objection to people saying please and thank you because they're responding to a human-sounding voice just as their, you know, automatic instinctive behavior. Like, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think there is a danger in thinking that, you know, your Google Home or your Alexa uh, is somehow more aware than it really is or more capable than it really is and and also that it's an it and not a she. Uh, I'm, I'm hyper aware of, you know, assigning genders to AIs, especially when they tend to skew female because we're looking at all of these things as... Um, servants basically they're there to provide us some kind of a service and mostly for free at this point so looking at a female personification of free labor i'm immediately uh, as per our previous point looking around at all the free labor that women do for the world today and saying we're just perpetrating that um, by codifying it into these machines and it, it does kind of tie back again to that point of, you know, how do we move forward? How do we uh, try to get to an equitable future as we are dealing with these sorts of AIs and, and synthetic beings in our lives that are coming more and more into our everyday interactions? There, um, I was listening to a, another podcast that I love called Mindscape that's hosted by Sean Carroll, of, uh, also of Caltech. And he was talking to a neuropsychobiologist by the name of Robert Sapolsky. And Sapolsky was, you know, explaining how deep our, um, our uh, biases, unconscious bias goes and how much we don't even realize it that you know things happen in one area of our lives that transfer to others and that's where i can see something like alexa or siri right uh becoming this thing that we're used to like it's not you know 
Joseph that we're talking to or Frank, it's Alexa or Siri. So when we need help with our grocery list or, you know, our calendar reminders, we're going to instinctively think that, oh, I need to hire someone who sounds like Alexa or Siri, not like Jim Bob, you know, two blocks over. And that seeps into our subconscious. And and we don't even realize, you know, the decisions that we're making because of these patterns in our lives. And I thought uh, Sapolsky's arguments were were very convincing. And, uh, you know, he's kind of studied this from the neuroscience side, but also from the sociological side. Um, I actually ended up buying his book, though I haven't cracked it open just yet because this was yesterday. But I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to diving deeper into that because I think it tells a very uh, important story of how we move through our world, oftentimes without realizing what it is that we're doing. Oh, that's interesting. Coming through from a lot of what you're saying is this kind of AI being more a system of algorithms and statistics and and. And how is that different to us? I guess my question is, what is consciousness? <laughs> uh, I wish I knew. That is my answer to that. Um, I actually, I studied with Christoph Koch, who is doing a lot of, you know, actual research uh, and attempting to answer that very question, along with a lot of other very, very bright people over at the Allen Institute and elsewhere in the world. Um I spend a lot of time thinking about it. I love, you know, the philosophy of mind as just a, a general thing to sit and, and ruminate over and talk to people about. I find it mm-hmm. endlessly fascinating that we are capable of asking these questions mm-hmm. in the first place, right? That we have a brain that can be like, what am I anyway? Um, but I do firmly think that uh, consciousness is unlikely to emerge spontaneously from a sufficiently complex AI, which is a very popular storyline in science fiction. I think that we are pretty good at sort of kind of modeling what the brain does, but not really. Um, it's a it's a very, very simplified model, it's sort of like giving something a temperature rather than giving it actual physical energy. And so... I do wonder how much of consciousness comes from those nuances that we skip over in these, you know, fancy software systems that we're building. We're definitely not building direct models of the brain. And um, maybe Connectomics will shed some light that's, you know, that's attempting to map one entire brain's worth of synaptic connections. But it gets even more complicated, you know, with... um, just with interactions with the rest of our body and the gut biome and sensory inputs and, you know, how much of all of that plays into this emergent property that we call consciousness. And so until we figure a lot more of that out, I'm not very convinced that we're going to be able to build it. And, um, And even a synthetic brain may be in, like, 40 or 50 years, we'll have a supercomputer that can actually, you know, model every single synapse. But even then you have, you know, all these different ion potentials, you have um, pH levels, you have like, you have so much complexity in biology that I think it's easy to assume that it, 
it's something we should be able to figure out because we do it every single day without thinking about it. We are conscious. We are self-aware. We move through our world. But in actuality, scientifically, there's so little we still understand about the brain that I suspect we have a ways yeah. to go. I, would you build something like that if you could? Would you build a robot that was self-aware and had consciousness? Yeah, sure. hundred percent. Why not? But I would want to ensure that that conscious robot had some sort of personal protections and rights. Okay. As well. And did not count just as uh, someone's property in the lab. Okay. So it, it should have rights as well as responsibilities. Yeah, for sure. That's good. That's good. <laughs> That's good. We like that. Um, so uh, basically, I'm, I have a silly question now, which is... Um, if I was going to be a megalomaniac, uh, which I'm not planning on, but you never know what's happened, you know, um, anything. I've certainly loved a lot of science fiction. The most lonely people can end up being as megalomaniacs. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I don't think I've seen a podcast to become a, a, a megalomaniac yet in any science fiction, but it, it could happen. Um, but if I was going to, would I, would, would I be well advised to get it, you know, be using AI to help me take over the world. It certainly wouldn't hurt um, to have, especially today's kind of AI, right, which is really um, uh, machine learning systems to help you process data and find patterns and, you know, manipulate people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As we have seen, it's a very, very powerful tool and, you and we've already seen it in the hands of uh, some very unscrupulous people, shall we say, um, across the globe. Haven't we just? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I think if you wanted to be a, a supervillain, you would definitely harness the power of AI today. Yeah, that would be, that'd be pretty clever. I mean, if you, you could probably, if you tried really, really hard, you could probably use technology, maybe social media and find your way into power couldn't you that could happen um yeah. what uh, not fiction at all <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's definitely something that could happen even if you were an absolute moron that might happen so yes. what... <laughs> that too <laughs> um, so charismatic I... morons right? okay oh, oh, yeah <laughs> is that is that a word i would use to describe that i'm not sure it is i think I see where it's a kind of charisma that, you know, you have to be able to attract people to your cause. Yeah, I guess it is. I don't like to think of it like that, Um, but I'll I'll take it. So the other side of that is you've worked in AI, you've worked in in healthcare and all sorts of interesting places. What's the best um, application of AI that you've seen so far or that is coming? Oh, that is coming. So the one that I want sooner rather than later, um, is one of the ones that I invented for my novel, actually. And that is the the personal assistant that I call an agent, who basically is like the hyper-customized version of a Google Alexa or Siri, um, who keeps track of all your stuff for you, uh, who reminds you of people's birthdays, who is quite... Uh, competent much more than a human brain and less fallible and for whom you can uh, name them assign your own gender and voice to them 
and uh, and who kind of grows and adapts to you as a person over time so can learn your particular habits needs preferences all of those things mm. uh and preferably is not you know an ad-based service that is reporting your data to some central corporation yeah. <laughs> but is something that you own outright on your device um and is completely yours okay that sounds good um so what's yours called and um who does it sound like <laughs> Well, I I made up two of them for this book. So. <laughs> um, e each of the main characters has their own, um, and and pretty much everyone in this world, you know, has one of their own. And because many of them get them when they're younger, they tend to, to choose their own gender and assign a name from their own culture. And you know, voice I don't get into, but obviously, whatever preferences you have in terms of, of voices. I know if you've ever played with, you know, a car navigation system and all the different voices and accents and things, I thought that was such a great um, way to go about it. And then we ended up with with our holy trinity of. Amazon, uh, Apple, and Google giving us absolutely no choice, which I found very frustrating, um, especially since, like I said, again, the no choice version was a, a female sounding person, often with feminized names. It's like, it shouldn't be hard for them to come up with alternatives. And, uh, and I wish more people would agitate for that so that they actually do mm. it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I, I'm reminded of Ask Jeeves. Do you remember Ask Jeeves on the internet? That, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was great. Is it still around? I don't know if it is. <laughs> that's kind of, you know. I think um, uh, Bing bought Ask Jeeves and then Microsoft bought Bing. So it's all, they're all one big, okay. happy Microsoft family okay. now. Ask Bing Jeeves. Is that his first, <laughs> that's his first name, Bing? We'd have knew his first name, Bing. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, okay, there's this thing. Uh, he's called MZ. He's a Japanese billionaire and he's bought a, a trip to the moon on SpaceX. And he said originally, I'm going to send or oh, take with me some artists from around the world. And he's decided that um, he didn't really know what an artist was. And it's just people who are being creative uh, could come. So he ended up, he's now asked civilians to come. Um, with two criteria. One is that what you're doing could be furthered by going into space to do it. And two, that you're going to support everyone else who's on the mission to do it. Um, you can apply by March the 14th. Will you be applying? I debated applying, but as I have an 11-year-old, I feel like uh, it's not the best time in my life to risk my life going to space. Uh, I would love to go I was going to say I would die to go to space sometimes and I do not mean that literally but I absolutely have dreamt of going uh, up into space forever and ever um, if it was five years from now I would apply I'm hoping that there will be more opportunities you know for all of us going forward rather than fewer rocket lab is um, coming into the space nicely with you know something slightly heavier but still super cheap the way they're doing, you know, a lot of their stuff. I do have some environmental concerns with rocket fuels in particular, but I think, you know, 
at the scale we're at now, it's not a big deal. If we really do scale up commercially, that is something to look out for, right? Uh, just just like with cars and then jet planes, you know, Machinehood has this future where there are rocketry clubs and people are shooting off rockets left and right for various things. And, you know, there's a handful of space station colonies in existence. That is a future I would love to see happen. Um, but part of the change that I have is that, you know, they have developed engines that allow them to basically do Harrier jet style air base takeoffs for um, the first stage of launch. So they don't need chemical rockets at the ground level. And I think we are going to need, well, I shouldn't say need. I hope we can get innovations like that so that we can um, continue to combat all the climate change that we're dealing with and not exacerbate those problems on our way to space because I think a whole lot of us would like to go to space and would like it to become you know an affordable thing that we can do once in our lives Um, but but a lot of things are at what cost Um, AI already this is a very long answer your quick question but I was gonna say AI um, cryptocurrency Uh, We're seeing so many aspects of, you know, cutting edge technology right now, especially on the computer side, being very, very costly from an environmental standpoint. These are very, very power hungry endeavors, chips, lithium batteries, you know, all of these things um, deal major ecological consequences. So finding a way to a more sustainable future that respects our planet, I think is is going to be very, very critical for us and to kind of balance our technological progress with that is an ethical consideration that I hope becomes more commonplace in the future. Like you say, it's not at the moment. Space travel isn't really having much of a dent on environment. Um, and in fact, is doing a lot of good for the environment um, in terms of our understanding of the way that our planet works and things. But as soon as it becomes a commercial thing, absolutely. Which makes me think, if you were a man who spent your time half trying to get to Mars and half trying to make electric cars and solar panels, you'd be thinking about that carefully as well. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. I would really hope so. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope. Hey. I do, so um, do, I don't. This is a really silly question, but if uh, tomorrow um, Peter Beck, who by the way Peter Beck of Rocket Lab, um, is mm-hmm. a, is a friend of the Cosmic Shed, he's been on the he's been oh. on the podcast as well. So that was pretty brilliant. Cool. Yeah. Um, if if you had a choice, that shouldn't influence your answer to this question. But if you had a choice between <laughs> going to space on a Too late. on a Rocket Lab uh, rocket. Um, a SpaceX rocket, a NASA rocket, a JAXA rocket. Wait, you know any any of these rockets? Which, which one are you going to hitch a ride on? Oh my god, I I would take whichever one would take me first. Okay. I mean, I have no, uh, yeah, I have no biases there in terms of one particular rocket company is is better than another. I just want to get up there. I'm actually thinking at some point. Um, Post-pandemic, obviously, uh, I might treat myself to at least one of these zero-G airplane flights. Yeah, yeah. Just to experience it. I'm like, 
I could write it off as research for yeah, my novels because yeah, yeah. I need to know what it feels like to be weightless, even if it's only for 30 seconds at a time. I and uh, I generally have a pretty good stomach for that kind of thing. So I would really love to try it. There was an article in Wired uh, like a year or two ago where they had taken some artists up and like, you know, chefs and interesting people for this uh, zero gravity type stuff. And I was like, well, anybody can go. And then I looked into it. I'm like, $5,000, that's that's not cheap for, you know, uh, five, 10 minutes mm. of, you know, interrupted weightlessness. But as a once in a lifetime kind of thing, yeah. and for someone in my particular position, yeah. Uh, yeah. I might, I might do it. I think you, you do. Know. I think what we need as well, which is never really covered in these things, we want to know what it sounds like, right? I mean, it's for a podcast, so we need to. Uh, <laughs> <we> need to <laughs> what does it sound like to be weightless? Exactly the same, but with more excitement. Lots of yelling, and maybe, maybe some puking in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly that sort of thing. Right. Speaking of podcasts, people, I am absolutely certain will want to hear more from you and they can do that on a weekly basis on escape pod tell us about it yeah you you may not hear my voice on a weekly basis but i am one of the co-editors of escape pod we publish short fiction stories every week and uh, i co-edit and co-host with Mer lafferty and we also have guest hosts uh, tina Connolly, alistair stewart people from staff occasionally from outside hosting our episodes and just, we are the pure science fiction arm of the Escape Artist podcast family. We also have Podcastle if you enjoy fantasy, Pseudopod if you like horror, and Cast of Wonders for young adult fiction. And it's completely free. And Escape Pod has been around for 15 years. We were the original science fiction podcast back in the, the bad old days of you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, the early days of podcasting when you got to listen to it on your iPod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people today like don't remember where the word podcasting comes no. from, that it came from the fact that it was, you know, something you could only listen to on your iPod. Yeah. And, um, and we recently put out an anthology, actually, of 15 stories that you can buy, a print anthology out from Titan, a uh, UK publisher. That is a, a mix of reprints and original fiction by authors who have graced our podcast over the years. And for everything in the last several years, you can also find all of the text for the stories on our website, escapepod.org. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I've remembered that I used to listen to it. I'm one of those, you know, you know how it is with podcasts. It's, not, it's, not, it's nothing to take personally. You just kind of listen to it for a bit and then you drift off. I'm going to drift back again now. Um, that's exciting. I'm looking for stories, and that's a really good thing to have those kind of stories out there. Yeah, they're nice and bite-sized, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, so... And then it's all Beautiful. done. Beautiful. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. Basically, I want two things at the moment, a vaccine and stories, and I'm getting the vaccine tomorrow. Oh, congrats. Thanks very much. It's one of the benefits of being asthmatic. <laughs> um, I didn't know there were any. I finally found See? one. Um, you never so, know. Right, yeah. <laughs> This book, um, I'm excited to read it. I haven't read it yet. Um, I'm very excited to read it. Um, I'm excited for the future that's not in this book, but is in your head, hmm. that this book is designed to move us closer towards. But if other people want to read this book, what's your favourite place for them to buy it from? 
my favorite place is for you to find your local independent bookshop and buy it from them because they are all deeply struggling after a year of pandemic, no comic cons, no science fiction conventions, you know, the places where they go to sell books, um, you know, me uh, and other authors who love to sign books for people and interact with our readers and fans often go do events at, at these sorts of small bookshops and um, you know none of that's gotten to happen so uh, as lovely as my Amazon Kindle is if you can buy from your local bookshop please cool. do that yes what you should do everyone should buy this book Machine Hood and take it with them on the Vomit Comet with you and you should sign them on the Vomit Comet and then that would be an amazing, messy signature. That'd be great. That would be fun. Yeah, see, so you got to get a zero... I have to get a, a zero-G pen if I do that <laughs> and sign a book up there. That's a great idea. I'm totally going to do that. Have someone, like, videotape me yes, signing a do book. Yes, do it. Do it. Um, <laughs> it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. And um, I... Uh, what's next? I am... The project I'm in the middle of is actually a far future science fiction story set about a thousand-ish years from now with um, our post-human descendants living in space and and ourselves still mostly stuck wow. on Earth. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's one of my daughter's um, favorite questions at the moment is um, kind of what's going to come after us in evolution? I'm like, I don't know. But now we're, we're going to know because it's going to be in this book. You get one idea. Does it have a name yet? No, no, no. Too soon. Far too soon. Okay. It's, it okay. does not have a name. It does not have a publisher. It's uh, it's still in its infancy book-wise. It's, it's drafted, but there are many, many more steps uh, between when a book is drafted and, and when it gets yeah, out in the world. Absolutely. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much. All right, thank you for having me. Was lovely. SB Divya, everybody. You can find more from SB Divya at sbdivya.com or at Divya's tweets. Obviously, we'll post links to that and Divya's work on the Cosmic Shed website, thecosmicshed.com. I hope you're all keeping very well. Thanks for sticking with us and not drifting away. And we'll be back very soon with an episode on hmm, not quite sure just yet, but thank you very much. For listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between.